News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And uh, thanks again to Dr. Bill, Dr. William Forston. Uh, by the way, he and Newt Gingrich uh, worked together on books, and Battle of Gettysburg was uh, the book to which we were uh, referencing. So the story, so apparently, because I talked to Bill after I got done, I jumped over there, and I was like, do you not remember the story about the tree trimming thing? And he's like, no, that's, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so in our discussion, I, I think, so I'd interviewed Newt Gingrich as well, and I brought up Dr. Bill to Newt. And Newt told a story, which I assumed Dr. Bill was part of, but apparently not. So Newt's story was that he was, you know, at a, he was a professor of history as well. That's how they met. They were history professors, Bill and, and Newt, I believe. They, you know, they travel in the same circles and whatever. And um, they were at some campus or, you know, housing, or they had, you know, their homes that were near the campus or whatever it is, these old homes, really old trees and they decide they're going to take down some part of a tree or something, and so they start chopping away at it, him and his professor buddies, these like three historian <laughs> uh, professors and uh, history professors, and they start chopping away at this tree, and they got some ropes, you know, on some of the branches, and like, well, the tree starts falling towards the house, and so they just like grab the ropes, and like, oh, yeah, we're just kind of, you know, directed away from the house. This was their plan. Of course, the tree, you know, is... I don't know, 100 feet tall. It's a massive tree. And, of course, it just continues to fall. It doesn't recognize any of the efforts of the men on the ground, and it lands on the house or whatever. And he told that story. And so I I thought that was Bill's story. I thought Bill was there, but apparently not. So that was my mistake, my bad. I apologize. Um, but I, I always enjoy talking to Bill. And uh, sounds like you guys enjoyed it, too. I think uh, the day you know shouldn't pass uh, without some sort of a recognition that that it was part of our history. And in case you could not detect, uh, Dr. Bill is originally from New Jersey. And if I am willing to look past his, <laughs> if I'm willing to look past him being from New Jersey, I think we all can, right? I kid New Jersey. Come now. I kid. Um, this is one of the things that just, I understand the arguments over the, you know, the Confederate flag over the state house capitol, and I was sitting in this chair having these debates and discussions with people. Lo, those many years ago, when the Confederate flag flew over the South Carolina state house, and I understand some of the statues. For example, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Right. You want to take down the founder of the KKK. You want to take down his statues. That kind of makes sense to me. It does. Some of the other stuff, though, it doesn't. Some of the other stuff doesn't. Here's here's a story. So the North Carolina Realtors Association, they have a lobbying group, the Realtors. They have a lobbying group and they hang out up in uh, the state capitol, up in Raleigh, and they lobby as lobbyists tend to do. Well, six years ago, they were like, hey, we spend a lot of time up here. We should have some offices or whatever. And so they they found a deal, as realtors are known to do. They found a deal on a house uh, that's like right near the legislative complex. So they paid $1.5 million for one of Raleigh's grandest old houses. It's on Blunt Street, practically next door 
to all of the legislative action, writes Josh Schaefer from the Charlotte Observer. Do you think it's important for a lobbying group to be close to the legislature? If that's your job, right? I'm not getting into the ethics of lobbying and all of that, but if that's the gig and you're trying to lobby lawmakers, chances are it's helpful to be right across the street, you know? It costs uh, it cost a whole lot of money to renovate the place. It was an 1870s mansion known as the Heck Andrews House. It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It had sat empty, largely neglected by its last owner. <gasps> Who would do such a thing? Well, it was the state of North Carolina. <laughs> it was the government that ignored the property and let it fall into disarray. But now the house has been revived. Some of the North Carolina Association of Realtors, 55,000 members, have begun pointing out its uglier past and questioning their own role in confronting it. I got to be honest here. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that sentence means. They've begun pointing out its uglier past. What, what that it was an ugly house? Show me on the doll where the house touched you. Like, how, how, has, the, how has the house offended you? It's a building. It's a house. Well, you see, Jonathan McGee Heck, for whom the house was built, he fought as a Confederate colonel, identifying so strongly with the Southern cause that he left his family in what is now West Virginia and joined with the rebels in Richmond. He then served in the Virginia legislature during the Confederacy, buying the raw materials to make weapons for the Southern Army. In the years after the war, having become a successful businessman, he and the Hecks relocated to Raleigh and built their ornate house on what was becoming one of Raleigh's prestigious blocks. Did he own slaves? Local historians say, no, we don't think so. Having been a young lawyer, real estate buyer before the war, urban businessman afterwards, focusing much of his attention on drawing investors to the new North Carolina. The historic marker on the house, it's not even dedicated to him. That's not what made it famous. It was, it was dedicated to his daughter, Fanny, who was prominent in women's missionary work. That's what made it to the historical register. Not Daddy the Southern Colonel, the Confederate Colonel. But a century and a half later, we get treated to this story by the McClatchy folks that some North Carolina realtors, particularly its black membership, wonder how they fit into their organization's showy Raleigh office. I got an idea how you fit. You walk in, you find some empty space, and you stand in it. That's how you fit. That's how everybody fits. That's how all human beings alive right now fit in that building. The building didn't do anything to you. The building was built by a guy who fought for the Confederacy. And then it was lived in by other people for a very long time. And then the state government owned it. And then they let it fall into disrepair. And now it's been rehabbed. It's just a building. They have a quote here from Monique Edwards, a broker with NC Living Realty. Quote, I don't think people of color like walking into places that are named for people who have a Southern racist history. Again, that's your ignorance. Apparently, the house is named for the daughter who was a women's missionary activist. That's who the house is named for. That's what it's on the marker for or on the record for, not the Confederate general. 
So you're saying that because her dad was a Confederate colonel, even though they didn't own slaves, that's enough. That's enough that now you're like, I don't even know if I can walk in this building because somebody somewhere along the line made some decisions with which I disagree with in modern times. Come on. I will give the realtors credit. They're like, hey, uh, it's an old house. There are a lot of people that, you know, have lived here. Now, they don't say it like that because, of course, you can't say it like that. They say North Carolina owned the mansion for many years while it stood in poor condition, and its rebel ties got no mention there either. Monuments aside, they said this history will need to be addressed repeatedly as it lives within every building of a certain age. And that is true. Unless, I guess, we're going to start like avoiding entering any building that was built in those times. I'd, this must be exhausting. <laughs> it must be exhausting. To constantly be seeking offense at everything. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but houses aren't racist. It's just an inanimate object. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just wood and paint and glass bunch of different materials i really am not going to name them all but there's a lot of materials and they just it's just a house it's a structure it's it's not it was a house that a guy built when he moved to town but that guy this was up in raleigh that guy was in the confederate army and because of that now we are getting the 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 concern oh it's troubling that it has this it has this past. It was a rundown house. It was an old house built in 1870. It's a mansion. It's right next to the legislative building. And the Realtors Association went in there and like, hey, you know what? Let's buy this place, fix it up, and it'll be our lobbying office right next to the legislature. But no, 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 can't do that. It is on the historical record, um, the National Register of Historic Places, I should say, and it's called the Heck Andrews House, and it is not actually named for Jonathan Heck, who was the Confederate guy, but it's actually uh, dedicated to his daughter, Fanny, who was prominent in women's missionary work. But that doesn't matter, I guess. All that matters is somebody somewhere along the line lived in the house, and we think he was not a good person. And so, what? Are we going to burn the house down? What's the proposed solution? For Anthony Lindsay, quoted in the paper, a real estate agent here in Charlotte, the question comes down to whether a group with NC Realtors' size and reach will deal with the Confederate ties in a constructive and positive way. Once again, I don't even know what that means. What are you even talking about? That the Realtors' group needs to deal with the ties? How exactly are you proposing they deal with the ties? By doing what? He doesn't say. Does the membership even know about it, he asked? Know about what? Fanny? And her women's missionary work? What, what, what exactly do you think that they need to know? What about the people outside of Raleigh? People in Raleigh may know what the heck house is. 
Oh, what the heck? What? Wait a minute. Why did you guys not put that in the headline? Oh, well, that is a real missed opportunity, right? What the heck is up with the house, right? Just seems pretty obvious. Tim, welcome to the program. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm okay. What's up? I uh, just wanted to bring up John Pemberton. He was the inventor of Coca-Cola, and he was also a lieutenant colonel in the Confederate Army. So I'm just wondering, all these people who are are really that concerned, if they're going to reconsider their beverage choices for the 4th of July. I That's a fair question. I mean, how do we confront this and deal with this in a constructive and positive way? We're going to have to have struggle sessions over the picnic table as soon as someone busts out a Coke. Yep. Uh, you could switch to Fanta, but then it has its problems, too. Mm, what is, whoa, 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 what's up with Fanta? Well, Fanta was developed by the Nazis. No. The war started, and uh, they could no longer get Coca-Cola. And they made Fanta? Yeah, the Germans invented Fanta during World War II. I thought it was a Central and South American drink. <laughs> Interesting. Oh man, if I had known that, I went out to I went out to uh, dinner a couple of nights back with a friend of mine who is uh, he's a tad on the uh, left side, and he got a Fanta because we were at a Mexican restaurant. He got a Fanta, and so oh, what a missed opportunity for me! I could have like totally dragged him. What's up? Nazi yeah. lover drinking the Nazi drink, I see. Okay. Well, maybe it's just the orange, you know. That was the original. So mm. if you were drinking maybe in great flavor, you were probably okay. No, this was an orange flavor. <laughs> totally orange flavor. Interesting. Tim, thanks, buddy. I appreciate the call. All right. You have a good one. All right, man. You too. Happy Independence Day. That's a, it's a great call. Great information. I but I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm kind of mad that I just got the information now and not when I could have used it. <laughs> I would not have done that. Um, so this realtor in Charlotte that they quote, he's asking, does the organization feel any motivation to address its new office's Confederate past, given the state's push towards social and racial justice? This guy's all over the map. This is the incoherence of, uh, of this ideology, right? Does the organization that bought the derelict house, fixed it up so it could have its offices there, you're asking, do, does the organization feel any motivation to address its new office's Confederate past? The building doesn't have a Confederate past. The building was built after the Civil War, okay? Afterwards. Right? The guy who built it, he has a Confederate past, but the building, it does not. The building is after the Civil War. So, not much really there to address. And then he throws in the, given the state's push towards social and racial justice. The state's push? And... Even so, what does that have to do with the building that was built in 1870 and is on the historic register because of the work of the guy's daughter? Oh, wait a minute. Are you going after women's issues? All right. See, I can play that game, too. It's just not fun. It's exhausting.
News Talk 1110-993-WVT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Let me jump over here to, uh, is this right? We have two Steves? Okay, so this is Steve number one. Hello, Steve number one. How are you? <laughs> Good, how are you? I'm all right. What's up? Um, the real estate agent's getting upset about a house. Yeah. What about the land that they help people buy and sell <gasps> that produced Confederates and slave owners? Or how about the fact that it's all stolen land? <laughs> right? I mean, it's not yeah. even, right? this is, they're, they're selling land that was stolen from the natives. So how can these realtors, I mean, are they asking these types of questions and dealing with these things in a constructive and positive way as they are demanding with the, uh, with the old house? Very good questions. Thank you, Steve. I right, appreciate it. Let me go to Steve number two. Steve, number two, it's not a ranking. I'm not ranking you guys by, you know, okay. against each other. Yes, hello, Steve. Okay, hello, Pete. Hey. Now, this may sound, I, I'm not really being funny, but I guess it is funny. At what point can we expect the University of North Carolina to rename their mascot? What's the name? After uh, all, Ramsey's? You know, the, or their, their team, uh, Tar Heels. Oh, after all, Tar Heels loosely has its origin in the Civil War. I thought, yeah, I remember reading about this years ago, and I don't even remember where it came from. Um, there was a battle somewhere, yeah, and a North Carolina regiment of guys came and stuck with it. Well, they had the and Silent a, Sam statue, too, on campus. That got torn down. Yeah, and a, a general commented that those boys from North Carolina stuck to the battle like they had tar on their heels. Ah, there you go. I always thought now it that, had to like do... Like I say, that's loosely. Yeah. I always thought it had to do with uh, blacktop paving. <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, know why. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but we got to be sure they need to be renamed. Well, look, they just renamed uh, Stonewall Street in yep. Charlotte. Yep. Uh, Brooklyn yep. Village Avenue, which, why not just call it Brooklyn Avenue? And whatever, but... Uh, and that road name, I do appreciate the fact that they waited until all of those apartment buildings got built before they renamed it and forced everybody to have to do all of the address changes and stuff. And now there's 500 address changes. Right. See, keep up the good work. I'm out here listening, and happy holidays. Thanks to you, too, Steve. I appreciate it. Uh, happy Independence Day. Thank you. Um, look, I, I understand wanting to rename things. I do. Absolutely. Look, things change. Cultures change, society, people, right? It, things change. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not a believer in this idea that, you know, I have a vision of the way the city used to be when I was a kid, and it was oh so perfect then, and let's just freeze it in time. Like, think San Francisco, right? We can't have any tall buildings because that's not the way we look. That's not San Francisco. And then they wonder why, like, the prices are so high, even though there's just filth everywhere. But anyway... Um, so I recognize cities like societies, they breathe in and out more people, fewer people, right? Expand, contract. Life, it's, life is, this is uh, it's economics. It's in nature, right? The green shoots, right? The, to everything, there's a season. And, up, and they go up and down there in cycles. Um. I understand wanting to change things. I've been of the opinion 
that the way you address these historical issues is you add you add more monuments you add more statues you put more things up for people to see and learn it's because i think we're better by addition you know than subtraction now i already said what i said about the clan leader like yes you some people like yeah take a statue down that's the clan founder he doesn't he, he shouldn't get a statue um but there is this overreaction. See, this is what, what people on the left, it's what they really, it, like, guys, you're going to push people away. You're doing it already. I've seen so many people in the aftermath of these court rulings that, that are like, you guys have only yourself to blame. You pushed people so far. You pushed them so far on all of these different things where most people were like, okay, I'm kind of sympathetic to this initial argument and you, And so they give you the inch, and then you push for a mile. And so, yeah, you know what? I don't think that the Confederate flag should fly over a state capital. Why? Because it was a defeated nation. Not nation, but technically not recognized, blah, blah, blah. But I'm I'm not here to rehash the whole argument. I don't think a state house should have a flag other than the state and the, uh, the U.S. flag. That's it. And by the way, that's why I also don't approve of flying the gay pride flag on the on the buildings. See, it's amazing how easy things become for me when I tr- when I apply a consistent standard. If it's a state house, then you get the state flag and you get the American flag. That's it. Those are the only flags. That's it. And then people are like, we need to take it down. We need to take this down, take that down. This is all part of our history, though. But then what happens is you get people that are on board. They're like, okay, you know what? Okay, let's, all right, fine, we'll take that flag down. All right, fine, we'll get rid of the Klan founder. Yeah, I agree with those. And then what do we get? Now you're trying to cancel Lincoln and Jefferson, right? Exactly as Donald Trump predicted. You go, you're, you're, you've, you're going too far. This is silliness. It's a house that was built In 1870, the House is not racist. The House has not abused anybody. The House hasn't done anything. Yet this guy, this local realtor, quoted in the paper, says, The crux of the concern for me is, well, let's hear what the crux is. How much do the members know about this history, and how do they feel about that affiliation? That's the crux of the, that's the crux of the concern. How much do the members know about the what what history that the Confederate general guy or colonel built the house, but that the house was listed on the historic register because of the work that his daughter did, which wasn't racisty? But you you expect them to okay? So what if they put a plaque up there? You want them to put a plaque a plaque up there saying, "Hey, this house was built by a Confederate general," or or will that prompt outrage? Here's the other thing. How do they feel about that affiliation? How do the members feel about that affiliation? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Facts don't care about your feelings, right? Ben Shapiro says facts don't care about feelings. Feelings are neither right nor wrong. What you do with those feelings, how do you act upon those feelings? Ah, there's the key. Because people can feel all sorts of ways that are pretty stupid. Really. This gets to the point, I think I made this uh, same point the other day, Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychiatrist, who's now signed on with the Daily Wire, I believe. Um, He 
was talking about, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't him. It was John McWhorter and uh, Glenn Lowry. And they were talking about slavery. And John McWhorter, who is black, John McWhorter was saying, do you think Americans don't know that slavery existed in America and that it was bad? Seriously. How many people, I mean, to what depth of knowledge do we need to bring everybody in America to this understanding? Because I got news for you. Americans don't even know math. They don't know history. They don't know writing. They don't know reading. They don't know uh, geography. They don't know a lot of stuff. We Americans know very little when it comes to our K-12 government education. We don't know a lot of stuff. Okay? So how how in-depth of a knowledge are we trying to get here on all of these issues? Like, I'm supposed to know the entire history of the house that has been around since 1870. And then what I'm supposed to put like a PowerPoint presentation for every single person that walks in and outline for them, every single previous owner and all the good and bad that every owner did to what end? Why? How does this inform any of the work that we are doing in the building? Now, what we are using it for now, how does that inform any of that? It doesn't. It doesn't. He says, um, Where do people stand on this? Or do they care? Maybe they don't care. I would find it troubling if they didn't care. I find it troubling that I don't know that the organization has done a really good job of making members aware. I find it very troubling, Mr. Local Realtor, that you care so much about this. It's a building that was derelict. They fixed it up and they're using it so they can go to the bathroom, keep their paperwork, and uh, make phone calls out of it, then walk across the street to the legislative building to lobby on your behalf. On your behalf. You. They're working for you. Gosh, like this is the this is the mile. You're running a mile towards the just hyper-offensive. And uh, I don't know, man. Like this is like emotional extortion. It's what it feels like. We're, we We should be better than this. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Oh, I got so many different topics. Where to go, where to go. Let me do this. Actually, let me do this real quick. This is going to be a good set because next next hour going to reset with a bunch of other topics. All right, so let me do this. The State Board of Elections yesterday voted not to recognize the Green Party. Yeah, I don't know. They're colorblind or something. That's- they don't they can't see it. Um, no, they they're not recognizing the Green Party as an official political party in North Carolina. They are citing an ongoing investigation into evidence of fraud and other irregularities in the petition process used to seek ballot access for the party. So for folks who aren't aware, in North Carolina, we have had some of the uh, before Republicans took over, they, we had the most restrictive ballot access laws in America, uh, where uh, if you did not get a certain percentage of uh, votes in the general election for president and governor or whatever, and then you had to have membership uh, uh, 
counts and whatever. So they would decertify you. They would they would kick everybody off the rolls uh, or, or sorry, uh, out of your party affiliation designated. So I was, for example, in 2000, I was a, a registered libertarian. And I think it was 2000. And um, when we got decertified, because they didn't get the 2% or whatever it is for governor or president, uh, we lost the the certification. So the libertarians uh, that were all registered as such became unaffiliated. And I've been unaffiliated ever since. Maybe in 04. Might have been 04. I forget when. Um, and I've just stayed unaffiliated for all of these years. And uh, I know what it takes, though, to get back on the ballot. It takes a lot. you got to go out and get petition signatures. So you have to constantly devote time and energy to going around getting signatures to get back on the ballot as an official party. And for the small parties, these third parties, right, libertarians, greens, whatever, their complaint here is that uh, they spend these efforts, this money and time, and the other parties don't have to. So it's a barrier for entry, right? Now libertarians do better, so they generally keep their certifications. But the Green Party has not. They lost. There uh, was a Jill Stein. Um, in 2016, Jill Stein was on the ballot in 38 states. The party lost its recognition after failing to garner the required 2% of the total vote for their candidate for governor or for presidential electors in the 2020 general election. So in 2021, every voter who was affiliated with the Green Party were moved to unaffiliated status, Okay, which is also one of the reasons why the unaffiliated status in North Carolina grows. That's why those numbers always kind of go up is because uh, once the parties get decertified, unrecognized, then um, you get moved to unaffiliated. But this one's kind of shady. Because the State Board of Elections voted three to two, three Democrats for it, two Republicans against it. They voted down or sorry, they voted to uh, voted down a, a motion to recognize the Green Party. Three to two, they rejected the Green Party uh, petition. And over the past several weeks, here's what the Board of Elections put out. They said over the past several weeks, county boards of elections in North Carolina validated enough signatures by registered voters to put the party over the minimum, 13,865. Um, but there's be, uh, there's an investigation ongoing because they found numerous petition pages containing signs of fraud and other irregularities, which I am as shocked as you are that such a thing could possibly occur in our totally secure election system, right? The same handwriting throughout a petition page and or signatures that clearly appear to be written by the same person. Now, 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 wait a minute. I thought I thought signature comparisons were racist. You can't do that. This is what Democrats argue when they're arguing against signature verifications, when Republicans propose it. Right. But now they're using this argument in order to kick out the Green Party candidates or or kick them off of the, the ballot as an official party. Voters apparently signed petitions more than once. Oh, what? Now Democrats care about people voting more than once? Voters whose names appear on the signature sheets claim they never signed the petition. Petition sheets included deceased voters or voters long removed from the voter registration files, indicating that this may have been from a previous petition drive in 
uh, over the uh, last few years. Now, the uh, North Carolina Green Party uh, chairman, Michael Trudeau, he went on to the Facebook and he said, we submitted more than more than was required, more signatures than was required. The Green Party was railroaded by the appointed Democrats on the state board, as well as state board of elections staff, who I suspect are also Democrats, despite our bending over backwards to answer their questions about our methods. Our lawyer was allowed to speak once at the board of elections meeting. And when he tried to speak again, to ask whether there was any basis for the board's questioning of the validity of the signatures, they shut off his mic and turned off his camera. The Elias Law Group is behind this. Interesting. Submitted at least two requests for public records to obtain our signatures, and the state board immediately jumped to fulfill Elias's requests. And they say this is why independence from the Democratic Party is a must and why I'm skeptical of socialist and progressive organizations that do not see it as so. 